The Theology, Medicine, and Culture Initiative at Duke Divinity School convened a gathering in March 2017 titled Taking Our Meds Faithfully, Christian Engagements with Psychiatric Medication, supported by the McDonald Agape Foundation. We invite you to join us for some of these conversations. Welcome. I'm Maureen Kinghorn. I'm a faculty member at Duke Divinity School and co-director of the Theology, Medicine, and Culture Initiative at Duke Divinity School. Um, I'm joined uh, by a colleague from Duke Divinity School, Susan Eastman, who is Associate Research Professor of New Testament at Duke Divinity School and a scholar of the Apostle Paul. And uh, Dr. Eastman is here with us at Duke this week to, uh, to participate in a conference called Taking Our Meds Faithfully, Christian Engagements with Psychiatric Medication which we're going to be asking lots of questions, practical, theological, and other ways about how Christians are to think and respond and act with the relationship to psychiatric medication. And I really appreciate your being part of this conversation. Thank you. Thank it's you. a delight to be here. Thank you. you a few questions about the paper that you'll be presenting at the conference and some of your ideas, especially as it relates to the Apostle Paul and how Paul's thought in Paul's letters might actually relate to the way Christians think about psychiatric medicine. Um, I'll ask you a few questions and then, and then we can have a conversation. First question is that you mentioned in your paper that there's out there in the culture, there's a lot of popular thought that Paul is somehow antibody, that he wants to get us out of our bodies. But you actually argue that Paul, the body is actually really important for Paul. Say more about that. Yeah. So body language is all over Paul's letters. He, uh, he uses that terminology a lot. And the word body uh, is usually used in positive ways. It can be negative depending on what the body is connecting us to. The body might connect us to, to destructive powers, but it also connects us to life-giving powers and relationships. Um, and I don't think Paul can really conceive of a disembodied existence. Mm -hmm. Even resurrection is bodily resurrection for Paul. It's not disembodied. He doesn't think of something where we escape from our bodies. We don't escape from our bodies for Paul. Our bodies are transformed completely, but they're not something from which we need to or want to escape. So the spiritual body of 1 Corinthians 15 that's resurrected is a it's is still a body. body. It's still a yeah. body. There are different kinds of bodies. Yeah. Uh, what that kind of body is, well, I think it's a body that is completely shaped in belonging to the Spirit of Christ mm -hmm. uh, and dwelt by the Spirit of Christ without any remainder. Uh, but, but for Paul, he's arguing against the idea of a disembodied resurrection. Mm -hmm. Bodily existence is just the way it is. There's just different kinds of bodies. Yeah. It's a very different way of thinking than modern thinking. It is. Yeah, you, you talk in your work about how bodies are bridges rather than barriers. Can you say more about that? Yeah, yeah. Well, for Paul, a body doesn't exist on its own. We, as bodies, don't exist on our own. We always are, we exist in the mode of belonging. Mm. That's one way of putting it. Mm. And um, our bodies are what connect us to other things. So we might be, through our bodies, uh, part of the body of Christ. Mm which is connecting us to other people who are also bodies in the body of Christ. Mm. But we also, as bodies, might be connected with, to what Paul calls um, the body of death, which seems to be something like the body in the grip of death, mm. um, or the body in the grip of sin, for example. 
It's not sinful, bad bodies. It's bodies that are, are belonging to something bigger than them. Mm. And as bodies, we belong. Um, we And I think there are a lot of connections between that and some contemporary work on embodiment and social embeddedness, where bodies are very much seen as bridges that are kind of almost traffic control between what's outside and what's inside, both psychologically and physically. So you think Paul could actually help us to under, to make sense theologically of what's going on now in some yeah. modern psychologies so, of yes, the absolutely. self in some ways? Can you yeah, say more about so. that? Yeah. Well, um, I think that there's been a move, a turn towards thinking of, of human beings as... Um, it's not divided between mental processes and emotional mm -hmm. processes and bodies. Their bodies are very much a part of, of our psychological health or not. Mm -hmm. And also that our bodies are the ways in which we're embedded socially. Mm -hmm. So that you find the idea of the self as a self in relation that is kind of um, constructed in an in a, um, intersubjective way of participating in the larger mm -hmm. matrix. And I think that Paul completely thinks of us as intersubjective beings who are participatory. Hmm. Bodies are participatory. We are always participating in, in, our, um, in larger relationships, which makes us vulnerable to very toxic and lethal and um, deceptive environments. Hmm. Paul calls that sin. Hmm. But also connect us to life hmm. in the spirit and body of Christ. Paul actually um, thought a lot about his own body. Oh, Paul's yeah. own body was, was yeah. perhaps relevant to the way that he understood what it meant to be a body. Say more about that. Well, Paul's body was clearly pretty ugly to look at. Mm. He talks about this quite a few times. Mm. In the um, in first century, um, an orator, a public speaker, was supposed to be beautiful, handsome. Mm. We have our televangelists and all of that, anchors, news mm. anchors, and so forth. Well, they had their public speakers. Mm. And the height... Uh, the ideal body was an elite male body mm -hmm. that was fit and handsome and suave and all this stuff. You know, mm -hmm. we, we could relate like to the this. sculptures, yeah. The sculpture is yeah. beautiful. Mm -hmm. And Paul uh, had been stoned and he had been whipped and he was scarred. And he often says uh, that I, I'm, I'm not much to look at. I, mm -hmm. My bodily presence is weak. Mm -hmm. But then he turns around and he boasts about this, not because he's boasting in himself, but he sees his body as a, um, a public manifestation of the crucified Jesus. Mm -hmm. So he says, I bear on my body the, the brand marks of Jesus, famously. Mm -hmm. And he also says, carrying in the body the death of Jesus, that the life of Jesus may be, Jesus may be manifested in us. So he, he flips what would be very low status and shameful in his culture into um, a site of revelation. It becomes the revelation of, of God's, uh, God's love and, and union with us in the depths and then victory at the end. So it's a very paradoxical but quite beautiful thing that he does with his body. So he, he turns around and, and celebrates this body that culturally was not something to be celebrated. Yeah. Wow. It really helps perhaps to think about Paul, the force of Paul's writing when he talks about his own body and power made perfect in weakness and, yeah. and other things. That's, those are physical realities, social realities also. Yeah. And that his own finite body was itself an opportunity for him to be drawn more deeply into the life of Jesus. In, in mm -hmm.
then it's really important that we're not just isolated individual bodies, but that we participate in these larger social bodies. Um, so given that part of Paul's thought, that he, he doesn't just think about the individual, he thinks about us as constituted in and through our relationships with others as social bodies. How does that relate to how Paul thinks about sin and how Paul thinks about salvation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would say um, constituted in relationship to larger social bodies, which are also cosmic powers. That's what's mm-hmm. different. And, you know, it's mm-hmm. not simply enough to say social bodies, mm-hmm. uh, but rather Paul thinks in terms of uh, suprahuman powers. Mm-hmm. And um, he thinks of sin in that way mm-hmm. to a degree. Mm-hmm. And certainly, of course, God in Christ is a super, superhuman power. God is other than us, mm-hmm. and yet intimately involved with us. So Paul will talk about sin as almost an agent. Mm-hmm. He very rarely uses the word sin as a verb, with humans as the subjects of the verb. He doesn't talk that way. Mm-hmm. Contrary to popular perception, I think, mm-hmm. Paul doesn't talk that way. Primarily, sin is a noun. Mm-hmm. And sin is a noun that acts on and in human beings. Mm-hmm. So, so um, it's a power. So in that sense, yeah. it's a power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, other than alien, and yet intimate at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, indwelling, sin dwelling in me. So Paul can say, if I do what I don't want to do, I want the good, but I find to my horror, I accomplish the evil. Mm-hmm. It's not me doing it, but sin dwelling in me. So we participate in sin, we become people of sin insofar as we participate in sin, but we're not our sin directly. Is that Yeah, true? I mean, there's still a way in which we're still in the image of God, we might say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Paul doesn't use that language so much, mm-hmm. but he can. there's a part of himself that he can say, I'm watching myself, I'm watching sin act in my life mm-hmm. in such a way that it's contrary to my deepest desire, which is for the good. Mm-hmm. That's Romans 7. And we're bound. We're, we're slaves we're or servants and, of sin. Yeah, yeah, so he uses the language of slavery often in yeah. regard to sin. But then in Christ, we are participatory creatures as well. Mm. So um, we are caught up into and participating in the body of Christ, which is both social but more than social, mm. because it's indwelt by the Spirit of God, mm. which moves, again, um, Paul tends to use plural pronouns there. Say so Romans 8, it's... All about the spirit. It's mm-hmm. plural. Mm-hmm. The spirit moving in and among you, mm-hmm. more than simply the spirit in me as an individual, mm-hmm. which is the way we tend to think. I think in our American culture, anyway, mm-hmm. Paul's language would be better translated: the spirit that moves and dwells in and among and between you, and mm-hmm. operating in this relational matrix, which is transforming. Mm-hmm. So salvation also is participatory. Mm-hmm. The bottom line, of course, for salvation is that God and Christ participated in human existence. Mm-hmm. And it is that divine movement in, to participate in flesh and blood, bodily existence, that creates the, um, the relational power uh, for salvation in the in human experience. A genuine relationship requires two others. To, it's, it, mm-hmm. You know, there's absorption, mm-hmm. and then there's relationship. Mm-hmm. And in relationship with God and Christ, we're not absorbed. We are in relationship. You know, mm-hmm. if you have mm-hmm. absorption, that is not so great, you know, <laughs> I mean, in human relationships. Sin almost seems to be uh, a kind of a relational matrix in which our 
our agency is done away with. Mm. We're, it's so so compromised. But in Christ, we actually are established as agents. And so I don't think we're absorbed into God. Mm. We are in intimate relationship with God. So you're suggesting that insofar as we are drawn in love into the life of God, we become actually more free as agents. As agents? And, and even as, would, would you use the word individual? Yeah, I think there's an individuating in the gifts of the Spirit. Mm. Mm. Uh, that in the um, in the body of Christ, Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, we have the, the gifts of the Spirit. And the gifts of the Spirit are very distinctive. And that's where you find individuating. Mm. That there are, are quite diversity of vocations, diversity of callings, diversity of gifts. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, and and Paul used his individualistic language there. Let each mm-hmm. of you. Sometimes he can say each of you. Yeah. What do these claims about the embodied and relational nature of personhood not mean for Paul's understanding of human agency? What does it right, mean to I be just, a human agent? Yeah, I think that agency is uh, co-constituted. It grows out of relationship. It's interesting. So in in Romans 7, for example, when Paul is talking in this first-person speech, there's still an I, and yet there's a not I. No, Mm -hmm. it's not me doing it. I'm not the one acting. Sin is acting in me. That's kind of what he says. Sin is accomplishing things in me. And yet there's still this I that's talking and speaking. So it's interesting. So there is a kind of a very complicated picture of agency. It's not individualistic. Mm -hmm. And yet it still exists. Mm -hmm. But it's very compromised um, in relationship to this sort of lethal relational partner, mm-hmm. lethal and deceptive. That's mm-hmm. the way Paul talks about sin as something that deceives and kills. Mm-hmm. Lethal and deceptive indwelling relational partner, co-constituting the agent in such a way that um, we are um, we're separated from the results of our actions. Mm-hmm. It comes in between our intention and the results of our actions. Mm-hmm. So it's a compromised or weakened kind of agency at best. Mm. But in relationship to the body of Christ and indwelling of Christ, there's also an I, yet not I, but Christ in me. Mm. Paul can speak that way in Galatians. Um, And the I, yet not I, but Christ in me still means I still live. And I still live in bodily form in the flesh. Mm. I live, but I live in this relationship of trust. Um, which seems to um, actually, for Paul, give him a very robust sense of agency. I mean, Paul has a very robust sense of himself. He's not, mm-hmm. oh, it wasn't me. You know, that's right. not Paul. Right. No, <laughs> you know, like, right. no this no. is what I want. This is what I think. Very self-aware in any way. Very self-aware. Yeah. This is what I feel. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I'm I'm really upset. Mm-hmm. I'm really mm-hmm. happy. Uh, I'm planning to do this, or that, or the other. That's Paul. Mm-hmm. And yet, at the same time, you can say, I get not I. question of psychiatric medications, psychopharmacology, as it's sometimes called. So insofar as um, practices of taking psychiatric medication tend to go with the assumption that the body is not completely separable from the mind, how would that resonate with mm-hmm. Paul's thought? I think it resonates very much with Paul's thought. Mm-hmm. I don't, um, I don't, well, as I said earlier, I don't think he thinks of a, a disembodied self. And so mm-hmm. if if there's no disembodied self, then you can't disentangle what happens to the body, what happens to the mind. Mm-hmm. 
you can't have something over here and self intact over here. Yeah. You know, you just can't do that. Yeah. So given that given that it's a little bit of a jump to think that we can talk directly about psychiatric medicine in direct relationship to what Paul said, because there wasn't anything like our modern psychiatric medication in, in his time. Um, if psychiatric medications are used, and if someone wants to do it in a way that's consistent with Paul's view of the person, what would be the goals of using medication? What, what, how would you imagine medication being used faithfully? Yeah, we could think in terms of the goals and limits of, of yeah. psychiatric medication yeah, exactly. in relationship to an idea of what is human um, suffering and what's human flourishing mm-hmm. for Paul. Good. No. That, that's yeah. a way to make a connection. Yeah. So let's talk about each, the goals and then the limits of yeah. medication. Yeah, so the goals would be, I, I think, related to um, this body as connection in a life-giving way. Um, and sometimes the body is connected in lethal ways. I mean, we, mm-hmm. we, we certainly don't live in a perfect world, and many of the issues that happen, and um, psychiatric issues that happen, mm-hmm. um, are, are related to lethal bodily connections or very toxic mm-hmm. relational and physical environments mm-hmm. which people have grown up. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. the goal then would be um, dealing with whatever bodily impediments there are to life-giving connections, mm-hmm. and and psychiatric medication uh, could have can have a role in that. I think I think for a variety of reasons, whether they're environmental or genetic or not understood, mm-hmm. <laughs> there are mm-hmm. times when. Mm-hmm when um, the chemistry in the body is not, is impeding mm-hmm. um, uh, a life-giving connections mm-hmm. and, and can be very isolating for people. Mm-hmm. And so in that sense, I would say the goal would be towards interdependence mm-hmm. and, um, and connectivity. Not to say that has to fit some particular cultural norm mm-hmm. necessarily. I mean, mm-hmm. they, that might happen in an infinite variety of ways. Um, but as opposed to the, the saying a person is really healthy when they're autonomous, mm. which is a big value in the medical field. Self-sufficient, often, self-sufficient, autonomous. Yeah. autonomous. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure that's a goal for Paul, mm. but being able to be interdependent and have agency in that way, that's a different kind of freedom that I think Paul would have in mind. So, in, so the goal of complete self-sufficiency would not be an appropriate goal for Paul of life, much less for the use of medication. But uh, insofar as there might be bodily impediments to healthy relationship, yeah. to belonging, then you can imagine that psychiatric medications could be used in that way as a way to, to foster the kind of healthy connections, social connections that... that constitute who we are as human beings. Yeah, to foster the kind of functioning of the self that makes it possible to get connected to people. Mm. Yeah, um, mm. as opposed to when that's just not possible. Severe depression, for example. So, yeah. so um, medications would not themselves be the sort of saving force, but, right. but, but medications could make, make some of our connections more yeah. easier in that way. Yeah. How would you relate that to this broader conception of that we're saved in and through the body of, of Christ? Yeah, I guess I think we're saved through Christ coming to us precisely where we are and as we are. Mm-hmm. 
And so I don't, I'm wary of a kind of relationality that becomes a condition of salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't think that's there mm-hmm. in Paul, actually. I don't think that, because then we get, ooh, are we, you know, do we have the right kind of relationship? Or do we have, then it with, gets, with Christ, you mean? Or with, or with, or with, or with, with other others? People. Or, yeah. yeah, and then that gets back into whether we have the right capacities for the relationship. And I don't think that mm-hmm. Paul thinks salvation is capacities based in any way whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Salvation is God's gift. Irregardless of our capacity, our fittingness. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing. Mm-hmm. So that's where I, I don't think, in that sense, we're saved in and through the body of Christ if that requires some kind of relationality, capacity on our part. Mm-hmm. It's more, more like the gift is first given, mm-hmm. uh, regardless. And then, and then by grace and medication mm-hmm. given in relationally mediated ways. I mean, I think, I think... I think care requires relationship, mm-hmm. but medication may be a part of that. We mm-hmm. might grow into what that gift means for our life now. Mm-hmm. But the gift is given. Yeah. That's the beginning, not the end. That's helpful. So it's not that medications are somehow instruments that make us then somehow good enough to participate with others or no. in Jesus or where yeah, they, they're sort really of awful. instruments of our salvation. That's but be, that, really awful. But that God <laughs> in Christ, yeah, that, that, that the gift comes first, that the gift is, is primary and that um, medication and support and relationship can help us to live into that identity that we're given in uh-huh. Christ by virtue mm-hmm. of God's having come to us. Yeah, and the gift is presence. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are some famous Paul scholars who say that the, the giver comes with the gift. The mm-hmm. gift brings the presence of the giver. There are different kinds of gifts. There are gifts that you give so you don't have to be there. Mm-hmm. But this isn't that kind of gift. Mm-hmm. This is the gift that brings the giver with it mm-hmm. in presence. Mm-hmm. And so it is that presence, that gift of God's presence, mm-hmm. that is the beginning. Mm-hmm. And everything else then is a way of expressing and enacting that. Mm-hmm. It's very helpful. What about the limits of medication? Yeah. yeah, so we don't live in a perfect world. Until the eschaton, we won't be living in a perfect world. I, I don't. I, so I don't think there's a kind of an individual perfection, um, wholeness possible completely in this life mm-hmm. because our wholeness is tied up with everybody else's wholeness. Mm-hmm. And so from a Pauline perspective, mm-hmm. Um, it's the salvation of all is necessary for the wholeness of one, Mm. finally. So we're always within limits, and we're never fully, we never fully arrive. Mm. And I think that the, um, I think that for for Paul we have a hope, Mm. a hope that ultimately death is not the last word, Mm. and that um, our growth doesn't end with death, that we continue in the life of God. Mm. And the the flip side of that is living in hope, and a hope that means that um, failure to fully heal something is mm-hmm. not the last word, mm-hmm. and we can live with uh, being honest about that. So the long view mm-hmm. um, it gives uh, sort of patience mm-hmm. and hope in spite of what can be so difficult in life. Life can be full of difficulties difficulties that and things that never do get resolved there are a lot of things that people die with unresolved stuff you know? yeah yeah we can at least be honest about that and and have that not be the end of hope or faith is there anything else that i haven't asked you about or other thoughts that you might have about how um 
how Christians might think wisely about using medication? Well, I do think that that the um, if the goal of of medication is of a functioning that allows for flourishing relationships, then perhaps the medium of care has to involve that as well. Hmm. You know, that's that's really sort of for the the uh, clinicians and the pastors and so forth. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very different than the magic pill. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the magic pill, which can be so tempting mm-hmm. in our fast food, fast fix kind of culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that the uh, there's so much that medication can do, sometimes marvelous stuff, mm-hmm. but it can't do everything. just can't. Thank you very much, Dr. Thank you. for being here with us. Great Thank to you. be with you. Thank Thanks. For further interviews and other resources on Christian engagements with psychiatric medications, please visit our website, tmc.divinity.duke.edu.